Today we'll start because I'm going to read you a little story. It's uh, it's from a book by John Carroll Cruz, but I'll read you a little story and we'll go on from there. When she was almost 21 years old, Clelia Barbieri inspired a small group of ladies of similar religious ideals to join her in her performance of good works. They devoted their energies to the teaching of Christian doctrine, to sewing, to aiding the sick, and providing every manner of charitable assistance to those in need. Many unusual things began to take place. When there's no food in the house, the community prayed, the doorbell would ring, and food would be provided. Praying to St. Francis of Paola, the patron of the group, was also effective in obtaining bread, flour, wine, and other staples. In addition, Mother Clelia, as she was then known, cured many people by using the oil from the lamp that burned before the portrait of St. Francis of Paola. Clelia died of tuberculosis on July 13, 1870, when she was only 23 years old. Her last words were, Be brave because I am going to paradise, but I shall always remain with you. I shall never abandon you. The evening of July 13, 1871, exactly one year after Clelia's death, while the sisters were at prayer in the chapel, they declared that they had a visitation. Quote, Suddenly there was the sound of a high-pitched, harmonious, and heavenly voice that accompanied the singing in the choir. At times it sang solo. At other times it harmonized with the choir, moving across from right to left. Sometimes it passed close by the ears of one or the other of the sisters. The joy which it brought filled our hearts with happiness impossible to put into words. This wasn't of this world. We lived that day in paradise. From time to time, one had to leave the room. The emotion we experienced was so strong that it left you breathless until one had to call out, Enough, dear Lord, enough. Close quote. This miraculous event dismissed all their thought of the night's rest. Instead, since the Blessed Sacrament was not then reserved in their chapel, they decided to spend the night adoring the Blessed Sacrament in a nearby church. They again declared, quote, But how great was our surprise when we realized that the voice had followed us and accompanied us as we began our prayers. Close quote. Clelia's voice prayed with them until dawn. Since that day, she has never left them, joining them in the most diverse surroundings and conditions. At the time of Clelia's death, there were only ten girls who lived in the community. After the rule of the order was approved by the Holy See, more members joined the community, many being inspired by the voice of the Holy Founders. After the Second World War, there were 236 members. During the 50s, the sisters numbered almost 300. In recent years, the flourishing order maintains over 35 institutions throughout Italy. Then mission fields beckon. Houses of the order will open in India and Tanzania, Africa, with a number of the local young women joining and practicing the ideals of the Holy Founders. In the communities in Tanzania and India, the sisters hear Clelia's voice, which sings and prays with them in Swahili and, I can't pronounce it, it's an Indian language. When they pray in Latin, Clelia prays in Latin as well. The Mother Superior of the Order stated to the author in 1970, quote, This prodigious gift stimulates us to do well, increases our faith, is a relief to the trials of life, and gives us a great desire from heaven. In a more recent letter received before the publication of this book, the Mother Provincial of the Order, Sister Silvana Magnani, confirms that the prodigy is still taking place. 
She writes, quote, The voice accompanies us in our prayers, which are in Italian, with prayers that are in diverse languages. In Tanzania, where we have a mission, the voice speaks in the language Swahili, and in the language is Malayam or something. Sorry. The voice has been described as one unlike any of this earth. Always sweet and gentle, sometimes sad, and not, always is, and not only is it frequently accompanied by angelic strains, but is itself often transformed into the purest celestial music. Many witnesses of unquestionable integrity, including original companions, various superiors and sisters of the order, priests and lay workers in the order's hospitals, have adequately testified they've heard the voice. Many witnesses have given sworn testimony before ecclesiastical tribunals who investigated the prodigy prior to Claudia's solemn beatification on October 27, 1968, and before canonization on April 9, 1989. St. Clelia continues to let them hear her voice like that first anniversary of her death. Her nuns, together with many others, continue to hear a voice which prays, sings, and intercedes. It is a voice full of happiness when announcing good news for her family, the church, and the world. It is full of sadness when suffering is nearby. It is always calm and encouraging, a true sign that God never leaves us. So that's the first little story. Hold that thought. I'll read you a different story. This one takes place at La Trobe, Benedictine Abbey, Pennsylvania. A series of apparitions occurred there in the year 1859. The American press took up the matter and made fun of it. So the abbot, Abbot Willer, superior of the house, addressed this letter to the newspapers, and I quote from the abbot's letter. <clears throat> the following is a true statement of the case. In our Abbey of St. Vincent in the Trove on September 10, 1859, a novice saw an apparition of a Benedictine in full choir dress. This apparition was repeated every day from September 18th until November 19th, either at 11 o'clock or at noon or at 2 o'clock in the morning. It was only on the 19th of November that the novice interrogated the spirit in the presence of another member of the community and asked the motive of these apparitions. He replied that he had suffered for 77 years for having neglected to celebrate seven masses of obligation, that he had already appeared at different times to seven other Benedictines, but that he had not been heard, and that he would be obliged to appear again after 11 years if the novice did not come to his assistance. Finally, the spirit asked that these seven masses might be celebrated for him. Moreover, the novice must remain in retreat for seven days, keep strict silence, and during 30 days recite three times a day the palm miserere, his feet bare and his arms extended in the form of cross. All the conditions were fulfilled between November 20th and December 25th, and on that day, after the celebration of the last Mass, the apparition disappeared. During that period, the Spirit showed itself several times, exhorting the novice in the most urgent manner to pray for the souls in purgatory, for, said he, they suffer frightfully and are extremely grateful to those who cooperate in their deliverance. He added, sad to relate, that five priests who had died in our abbey not one had yet entered heaven, all were suffering in purgatory. I do not draw any conclusion, but this is correct. It's signed by Abbot Wimmer. In a certain way, both these stories might seem astonishing. The fact that St. Clelia, like a good mother, keeps so close to her spiritual children, encouraging them, singing with them, and to them. It seems astonishing that a Benedictine monk might appear to his brothers, begging them for prayers and help. But if we stop and ponder the reality of the church for a minute, it shouldn't seem so astonishing at all. 
as faithful members of Christ's church, we shouldn't find these things astonishing. Wonderful, but if we appreciate the reality of the church, we shouldn't find it that astonishing. It's not particularly astonishing that the people in heaven, our big brothers and sisters in the church triumphant, want to help us out. And it's not particularly astonishing that the people in purgatory want us to help them out. Both these are concrete examples of the profound reality the church is placing before our eyes in a special way the next two days. The reality that we're not in this alone. We're not in it alone. We're together. It's literally a family affair. As members of the Catholic Church, the one true church on earth, we belong to the communion of saints. We're not in it alone. We're in this together. Now, even though we already know all this, let's take a few minutes to have a quick review of our catechism on this topic, the topic of the communion of the saints. Question, what does it mean when we speak of the communion of saints in the Apostles' Creed? Answer, by the communion of saints is meant the union of the faithful on earth, the blessed in heaven, and the souls in purgatory with Christ as their head. Question, but Father, I thought saints were only the angels and the men and women in heaven. Answer, well, they certainly are saints, and that's why we call them saints. But when we speak of the communion of saints and apostles' creed, we're using another meaning of the word saint. And in this case, it means not only the men and women and angels in heaven, but everyone that actually belongs to the true church of Jesus Christ. It means everyone who belongs to the Catholic Church. And that means everyone in the church triumphant, it's everyone in heaven, of course, like St. Clelia. And everyone in the church suffering, that's everyone barbecuing down below the earth in purgatory, like the Benedictine monk, who's periodically being led out of purgatory in this case to ask for help in prayers. And of course, that includes all the faithful here on earth. We're in the church militant, the fighting church. That's us. We're in the fighting church. Question, why is the church here on earth called the fighting church? Because we're fighting. We're fighting our enemies. We're fighting the devil. We're fighting that worldly spirit that tries to get us to reject Christ and to conform to its wicked ways. And we're fighting our very own worst enemy, which is our own flesh, our own fallen nature, our own disordered desires that will surely drag us to hell if we don't fight. We're fighting to get to heaven. That's why we're called the fighting church, the church militant question. What can the church triumphant, the saints in heaven, do for the souls in purgatory and the faithful members of the fighting church on earth? Answer. Through the communion of saints, this bond that we all have with the one head Christ, through the communion of saints, the saints in heaven can help the saints in purgatory and the faithful members of the fighting church on earth by praying for them. They're watching so closely over us. Heaven isn't like light years away. There's a thin tissue right here between us and them. The spiritual realm is surrounding us. The devils are trying to attack us. The angels, our guardian angels are right here. Our patrons, they're right here. They're watching over us. That's what that singing of St. Clelia reminds us of, huh? The feast today reminds us of the truth that all those who fight under the banner of the Lord and have won are enjoying perfect, total, complete happiness in heaven for all eternity. Question. Should the faithful members of the fighting church on earth through the communion of saints 
honor the saints in heaven and pray to them. That's exactly what we're doing right here and right now. That's what the relics. Here's a major relic, large bone from the unknown, but a martyr from the catacombs. It's big enough on a relic like that. The seals are actually on the bone, you know, a lot of times. Anyway, that's, that's a relic. It might be on the case. And relics up there. And, of course, the feast. The faithful members of the fighting church on earth through the communion of saints should honor the saints in heaven and pray to them because they're worthy of honor. They're friends of God. And they'll help us in our battles here on earth. We've got friends in high places, and that's what this feast should remind us of. Question, can the faithful members of the fighting church on earth, through the communion of saints, relieve the sufferings of the souls in purgatory? That's what the story about the Benedictine monk reminds us of. They need our help. They can't help themselves, but we can help them. Through the communion of saints, we can relieve their sufferings by prayer, fasting, good works, indulgences, and having masses offered for them. Also, that's why we've got the names. Everybody's the names of all the faithful departed that ever be gave to us under the altar under the altar cloth during the entire month of November. I'll remember it and I also wrote on there for all the intended ones that you forgot to give me, which is fine, because I have the intention. I'll come to that later, so they'll be taken care of. You can't give me stuff later, but they're not getting forgotten if you're sitting going, what did I do? Question, can the faithful members of the fighting church on earth help one another? As members of the mystical body of Christ, we help each other by practicing supernatural charity and especially by the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. Basic review. Let's close with a few concrete suggestions. Every single one of us needs to have a devotion to the saints in heaven. Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph goes without saying. And in general, we should also have a habit of reading the lives of the saints so that we're filling our imagination and our mind with the deeds of the heroes, huh? We should get to know them. But each one of us also has a true devotion to our holy patrons. We need to know our patron saints. These are the great heroes or heroines we've actually been named after. Everyone should know the story of their lives. Teach your children and your grandchildren and your godchildren the stories of the saints they've been named after. We should celebrate our Saints Day. I still get a present. I'm named after St. Philip Mary, and I still get a present from my folks on, on May 26th. And I like that, you know. I mean, the birthday is no big deal to me. A Saints Day, you should have a personal relationship with your saints, okay? In two weeks, speaking of that, November 17th, that's a Thursday. That's the feast of St. Rose, Philippine Duchesne. That's, we've got the blessing in this community of having a patroness in heaven who actually lived here in Kansas and Missouri. So we ought to make a special attempt on that day. And that's not just a pitch for me. I mean, that's a pitch because we'll get graces for it to attempt to get to Mass that Thursday in her honor. And, of course, with respect to the souls in purgatory, we need to help them out. Visiting cemeteries, placing a list of our beloved dead on the altar, having masses offered for them, making communions for them, uniting ourselves to the priests and praying for them during the memento of the dead. That's after the consecration. At a high mass, you can tell because the altar voice steps back, and I do this. I'm not looking at the mist, I go like that. I'm praying for the dead right then. I'm looking right at our Lord because that's what it says to do. And I'm praying for all the dead. Well, unite yourself because that's not just, I'm praying for you guys. That's what I'm up there. So unite yourself at that moment. Of course, I'll also be praying for all the ones right there that are right un under the altar cloth. But let's do that, okay? Go for indulgences, which means we have to make the effort, I guess, the, 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 uh, of getting confession every two weeks. 
Mothers, when your kids are sick or hurt or whiny, teach them that wonderful Catholic mother expression. Offer it up. Okay. Let's be careful, each one of us, to not let any of our sufferings go to waste. We can pay the price. We can pay the price and get so many of our suffering brothers and sisters out of the pains of purgatory and into heaven if we just make the effort. And again, as we said earlier, if we pay the price and get someone out of purgatory into heaven, we've made friends with someone who has a personal debt to us in justice that we've helped out. That soul that went from purgatory to heaven is like a special patron or patroness. It is going to make darn sure that we don't end up where we really don't want to go. And even if we do end up in purgatory, that we get out of there pretty quick. They never sleep. There are no ingrates in heaven. We've been blessed with the greatest possible gift. We're members of the Catholic Church, the one true church. We belong to the community of saints. We may be in the fighting branch, but we're not in it alone. We're not in it alone. It's a family affair. Let's not forget to call on our big brothers and sisters in heaven and the holy angels. Let's not forget our brothers and sisters roasting in purgatory. <laughs>